You're listening to the Hidden Battles Podcast, brought to you by HiddenBattlesFoundation.org and our partners, DCU, Digital Federal Credit Union. You can find them at dcu.org with our hosts, Scott Heider and Chris Hurst. Welcome to the Battlecast. Hey everybody, welcome. Welcome to Hidden Battles Battlecast. I'm actually at the State House in Massachusetts with a good friend of mine. It's State Rep Jim Acero. Um, I'm not even going to say what party he is because I honestly don't give a crap because I believe that if a guy's doing the right thing for the right causes, it doesn't matter what party he falls on. And that seems to be a good thing about Massachusetts because that's how Governor Baker is. Um, and honestly, that's why I like him. Um, so yeah, so Jim and I were talking off offline which we started talking about some great things which we'll talk about now but um but jim's um got a pinnacle thing he wants to talk about it's a post-traumatic stress bill and have at it jim yeah i appreciate it and um scott this is awesome um you could just set this right up in my in my office and we can have sort of an informal conversation it took me a, a, a number of years in the legislature to have an office big enough to put a couch in so this is a very exciting this thing. is this is comfy you're walking right into an office that you probably thought a couch was here my entire time in office but it took a long time really so how long have you been in office for people who I've don't actually know been in office i'm in my sixth term and it's been um just a wonderful and exciting experience every day is different um i ran for off i excuse me i ran um for the legislature after being the legislative director for the chairman of the Senate Committee on Ways and Means, which deals with all of the the um, the, the budget issues of the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. There's nice. a House chair of Ways and Means and a Senate chair, and I work for Steve Pangitakis. Oh, um, I like I like Pangy. Pangy's my, a good guy. My senator for um, you know my time in office, obviously, and uh, was the senator for the first Middlesex district which was this, uh, the, the city of Lowell and, and five towns. Let me see if I can still get them. Pepperell, <laughs> Tingsboro, Groton, Westford, Dunstable, and Pepperell. Yep. Did I say Pepperell twice? I, I don't know. Did he? You did? Okay. That's all right, because they're that what important. What I missed then? I got them all then, right? Is it Chelmsford? No, 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 no. No, Chelmsford. Oh. I said them all, but I said another. I, oh, okay. I, I threw another... I, I threw another. It's because uh, Pepperell's that Pepper. important. We should say them twice. Well, Pepperell Spa is a great place to eat. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I haven't been there in a long time, but it's a good place. I will tell you, it's the like you've listened to us before. Are they still running it? The Bazikas's family, great family. I have no idea. I will tell. Oh wait, yes, yes, they're they great are. People. Yeah. yeah. Um, what I was going to say is, we talk like if you haven't heard the podcast yet, but we this is the random stuff we talk about. Yeah. And it's really because if you think about podcasts, they're just basically eavesdropping on conversations. You know. Right. So when we say that, you're like, oh, what should you talk about? And and why don't we talk about why you get into politics? And then we'll talk about stuff that you do outside of politics. I mean, obviously, you have a family and stuff, but, you know, what for Jim? What, yeah, it's interesting. You know? I mean, thank you for that question. Um, I would say, you know, when I was in high school, I was just a, a regular suburban kid. Um, you know, my good friends, I was a, I was an Eagle Scout. It was... Uh, oh, that's nice. It good was, um, yeah, it was a time uh, really where I was from, you know, I'm 45 years old, so uh, I think we're similar age. You think about where we are now. We, we both have young children. And um, we're always so vigilant and scared about the world we live in now. Things are different now. And think about when we were young, right? Yep. Think about that. I was just, the other day, um, my wife's on business right now, and I have Angelina for the week, and we have a nanny as well, which is tough, but yeah. you know, but we're doing the best we can. We don't have a huge family. But go and, about that process. Now you're going to hire somebody to take care of 
your most prized possession I on know. the planet. And yeah, I remember when your wife was pregnant and she kept coming to your car seats and we oh, kept talking God. about remember car that? safety and car seats. Yeah. And I was like, wow, good for her. Yeah. Because some very, people don't care. She's a great mother. Yeah. She's very, awesome. very thoughtful about everything. But, you know, we, you know, all the all the information that we have, Scott, now mm. and just everything we know about this world, it it's scary. Yeah. And, um, you know, bringing um, a, 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 my young daughter, Angelina, into this world is scary. But I think about in the early, early 80s when we were kids and in some cases the late 70s. In the summers, I remember leaving my house in Westford. I was six years old, and I went to Peter Brillinger's house, uh, eight eight houses down, and walked yeah. by myself yep. at ten o'clock. And I came back for dinner. I yeah. was six. I, me- I remember the same it's thing. Unbelievable. I used to walk myself to kindergarten, which is maybe only like, realistically, maybe five hundred feet from my house. But I grew up in the projects, and this school was on the outskirts of the projects. So I think if anybody was going to come and try to snatch a kid up in the projects, they really there's something wrong with them because it was a veterans housing okay so we you know all the vietnam crazy guys were there and you know which great guys but they were like really we had our own neighborhood watch kind of thing going on there well i mean i i've i've started this podcast off uh scott uh, on a tangent so so why did i get into politics (laughs) yeah we all do don't worry about it you're falling right in (laughs) so you know growing up in westford um eagle scout uh very uh connected to community i'm from a military family um my my father was a vietnam um veteran um, what branch? Um, army. Okay, I'll see. I like and that. And my okay. brother, 27 years in the Army, five tours of duty, Army surgeon. Nice. He's now a surgical oncologist, so he, he deals specifically with cancer surgery at Emory University. He retired from the Army, like I said, after 27 years, about four years ago. Nice. My brother-in-law, um, who was in med school with my brother at the Uniformed Services School of Medicine mm-hmm. at, at Walter Reed in Bethesda, yep. uh, met my sister. Oh. Uh, uh, over 20 years ago, and um, he is now a gastroenterologist, but he himself uh, served four, tour, four tours. Nice. So it's it's something that's always been a part of, of my family, and so I, I, I guess like that 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 need or that interest to serve and, and work towards goals bigger than yourself was was a reason that that um, I was interested in politics um, at a young age. I was dyslexic. I still am dyslexic yep. and, and had some 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 challenges, you know, with school yep. and um, worked all, very hard just to just to be sort of a, a above average student, if you will. Yeah. A little harder, I think, than, than most people. And I think people with developmental disabilities would would hear what I'm saying. And uh, I, I went to University of Massachusetts Dartmouth. Yeah. And I went to school and I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. Yeah. I went to school um, with. Uh, sort of a, an open mind to, to, to get into something. And it wasn't until the end of my freshman year in college that a, a gentleman by the name of Sean Haynes, great guy, was in the UMass Dartmouth Student Senate, said, Jim, you should run. Well, I wasn't so sure about it. You know, I was, I liked politics, um, but politics to me, my only experience with it really at that age was, you know, high school student council and, Student council to me was was planning dances and being part of a a, a cool homeroom and, yeah. and all those things and that's all good stuff but yeah. it wasn't really what I was interested in and I gave um, you that taste of leadership yeah it wasn't know? really yeah. what I wanted and and I really cared very much about serving and, and a lot of that was was um you know being an Eagle Scout and working at, at Camp Wetzucka which was you know for an isolated you know kind of bubble that Westford was and is in a lot of ways with diversity at one point. Um, working at a camp that was Greater Lowell uh, Scouts from all over gave mm-hmm. me a much different perspective 
than um, you know, sort of growing up in in like I said, in in kind of a bubble in Westford. And um, the end of my freshman year in college, I uh, I ran for that for that seat and I won. Nice. And from there, I was a student trustee on the on the on the for the for the five campus UMass system. I went to Washington D.C. to intern, and I I fell in love with the ability to um, serve the public, to help other people, and to make a difference. And sometimes those things sound cliche, but when you when you're actually part of it, and you're part of a team, and you know um, yep. serving in the army, and uh, you see you know great things happen, or people protected, or or things um, improved, it, it it's something that you really want to continue to do. Yeah. So that drove me to want to get involved in politics. Um, so. When I graduated at UMass, I, I worked for um, my local state rep at the time, my predecessor, Representative Jeff Hall from Westford. Yeah, Jeff's a good guy, real good guy. He was just a, a great mentor, a great friend. He gave me an opportunity back in 1997, Scott, in my first job. Um, this is during the, almost around the tech boom, right? This is when, when a lot yeah. of young, as it, well, I wouldn't say the millennials, where yeah. Generation Xers, right? Yeah, exactly. Generation Xers were making it, big we're money. We're making a comeback, too. I by made the a way. robust $22,000 a year <laughs> as my first job at the State House. Nice. And yeah. it was five days, of, you know, obviously yeah. a full time job. And I went to graduate school at Suffolk for um, public policy and public administration while I, while I did that job. Nice. So that's my start. That yeah. was how I started. And um, from there, I had um, a lot of great experiences. Uh, I was the one of the youngest. Um, um, campaign directors for Shannon O'Brien for governor back in 2002. And um, then I worked for uh, about seven years for Senator Panjotakis. And again, another great mentor, yep. a great friend. Um, and we we actually, Jeff Jeff Hall and, and Steve, they're like big brothers to me. Nice. And yeah. I talk to them literally all the time. Yeah, Panji's good, especially because, um, like, we, you know, we found in Lowell. And Lowell, like we've said it so many times, has embraced us, you know, with open arms to the fact that you got like Tippa and you have um, Dave Nangle and, yeah. and Pangy and all those guys jump right behind us and and like you especially yeah and we became friends. I was a police officer and you you're heavy you know you're wicked pro cop and and yeah. that's great and first responders everything which is awesome because at this time day and age people are you know we don't know who's helping us you know and that's why I said I don't care what line you're on as long as I feel that you're doing the right thing and you know and hey it's about service about right I mean and I Absolutely. would turn the tables you know look you you um. You know, you you served your country. You're you're a veteran. Um, I have the most respect for for people that have put the uniform on and put their lives in the line. And you decided to be a police officer after your military experiences. Yeah. And what made that happen was just a natural progression. Was it something you wanted to continue to serve? Or? I yeah, it was it was pretty much it, a lot of it had to do with the fact that I wanted to continue to serve. But I think it was when I got out of the military, I was looking for that community, like that brotherhood type of thing, and that was really. People said, "Oh, you should become a police officer," but uh, you know what? I think if I had become a fire a firefighter, I probably would have found what I was really looking for. Mm-hmm. I mean, I found the brotherhood and stuff, but firemen really they work more like in a military way because of the camaraderie and you know the, even like the fact that after shifts and stuff they all hang out and you know where police don't do that anymore. And we've talked about that on the podcast, like the glory days of um, quiet practice they called it, like after after you know, shift drinks and stuff like that. It really went away for a while. And some departments are bringing it back where shifts are getting together and having dinner with the families and stuff. And I think that's great because that's really what people need, especially for post-traumatic stress. It actually, it's a, it's an outlet for them. Mm-hmm. And it's not that seclusion of where the depression starts to sit in and stuff, but you find that when guys are more social and pack animals are in that community, it's more beneficial for their mental health, you know? So that's what I was looking for when I got out. But in the police department, I found it. 
but I think the fire department, I probably would have been a better suit for me. Mm-hmm. But still, I love Westwood Fire and Westwood Police, which was unheard of for the longest time, generally like each other. Mm-hmm. We help each other out on calls, like, you know, carrying bags for each other. Other than that, there's other departments. They pull up, see the fire department, say they drive away. Right. You know, other than that. But even the fire department, you're on a detail, they slow down in Westwood. Hey, you need water or anything? I mean, that's when you talk to other cops and other fire departments, they're like, what, really? Mm-hmm. You know, we, in Westford, it just never seemed like that. How many years were you, were you a police 16. officer? Now, as a, in those years, what, so let me do my math here. Uh, late 90s, you started, right? No, no, I started 2003 was my Oh, 2003, okay, yeah. my bad, my bad. Yeah. Um, and when you started, did you really, I mean, when we're in it, when we're living there, you, you, you probably wouldn't see the, the dramatic sort of growth changes that we saw. Mm-hmm. But you think about when you first started as a police officer in Westford and where you are now, it's like the town is almost unrecognizable oh, yeah, it's, in so many ways. It's blown right? up. I say um, I was worried when I first started there. I've been to like Westford a couple of times, but I wasn't you know there all the time, whatever, sure. passed through. When I first started, there was a lot of stuff that wasn't there. It was still a lot of vacant properties and stuff. But what I was worried about was I had seen Tewksbury blow up like this in Route 38 was just strip mall, strip mall, strip mall. And I was yeah. always worried that Westford would do that and lose yep. their, of course. you know, that like apple orchard type of farming community that it was. Yeah, which we you know. <laughs> yeah, I know. And it stinks because that was one of the alluring things to it. Yeah. You know, I like, mean, there still is. There still is a good know. balance. I mean, we, the, the you know, the, um, um, you know, members of, of local government, uh, planning board, um, zoning board of appeals, boards of selectmen over the years that did a really good job of zoning correctly. And keeping a lot of the sort of commercial base on the 110 area. Yeah. Um, and when we had a good balance. But, it, it, you know, it, it, it's just, it's a great town. Yeah. And it's a place yeah. that people want to live in. And it doesn't hurt that we've we've been ranked in World News Report and yeah. uh, and, and a few other publications. Amazing one school of the, system. One of the best school systems in the yeah. state. Yeah. If not the, the best. Even the, like even to the fact that you go to um, the DPW. Chip does a great job there. The roads are always clear, you know, and if they're not, they are soon. It, you know, opposed to you go to other towns and you can tell when you get into Westwood because you go from snow, snow, snow to pavement. And that's awesome. Right. And you, you laugh, but it's it's the truth. It's true. You know, and that was one of the easy things. Like I literally would work a shift or get stuck on a shift because of a snowstorm. And I'm like, oh, why, why is it so bad? And then I go to drive home to Lowell. And I'm like, oh, this is why nobody's coming to work because it's just <laughs> yeah, the roads yeah. are a nightmare. Of course. You know? Of course. But yeah, so. Enough Westford love. But that's no. why, yeah, I know. Well, we could do it all day, actually. No, I, know. I mean, that's that's how I started in politics, mm-hmm. and it was just something I, I always wanted to do. Yeah. And um, I guess since I was, you know, Scott, since I was 21, I wanted to, to run for state representative. I, I thought I, I could make a difference. I thought it was something that was a good fit, and it was something I, I um, you know, I really wanted to work towards um, – getting myself the opportunity to just be in position to, to even run for that job. And um, that's what happened. I was fortunate enough um, when I was 32 years old to get elected. And, um, yeah, now I'm an old man. So Yeah. He's <laughs> hey, just a new, new kid on the block now. So would you ever consider going further? If it was the right fit, yeah. um, I, I believe in doing um, – positive and, and working hard where you are and um and doing all you can where you are um so if there was an opportunity to do more and it was a right fit for my family i would take you know a strong look at it and it, it would always be you know exciting and um, fulfilling uh to to serve in sort of a 
you know, a, a position that, that gave you um, even more of a reach, if you will, um, when it comes to public policy, when it comes to helping people and sort of share that passion uh, um, for, for serving, uh, you know, in, in government or elected office with a bigger district, et cetera. So, you know, I'd never rule those things out. But my daughter is almost four. Um, it is probably the single most important thing that's ever happened to me in my life. And um, that takes thing, precedence. Greatest thing since vinyl. <laughs> you had to get vinyl in, did you? You had to get vinyl in. I am the king of Segway. So, yeah. It's a good Segway. It yep. is a good Segway. We're both huge music heads, so that's another thing. Not only do we, we both, you know, worked in jobs where we've served the public, um, but we, we both are fanatics of Public Enemy and a lot of other. Oh, yeah. We always, yeah, groups. it always somehow, no matter what fundraiser we're at or what gathering we're at, we always somehow get back to vinyl. We always talk about vinyl and what best shop record that you get. And, you know, we always, we always do that. You're like, hey, I just found this 45 the other well, day. Well, I think we started and- talking mm-hmm. about some of this stuff when you used to do the Honor Guard and we would be yeah. at like the opening for the baseball games, et cetera. Yeah. And we started sort of shooting the breeze about that and we hit it off and, and we had a lot of same interests. So it's like, and uh, you had told me, if I recall, so I, we started sharing our love of music, and um, I'm a huge and uh, you know vinyl collector. You're a vinyl collector yep. yourself, and uh, for me, it's been Northern Soul has been my passion for over 20 years, and and essentially what that is is it's um, rare and obscure um, R&B and soul music from from the 60s, actually late 50s yep. now because this, the scene is so is so like sort of blown up. But um, rare 45s, and it's a single scene, really. It's, yeah. it's uh, from the 60s and 70s, these rare soul 45s that in the late, late 60s, um, in a place called the Twisted Wheel in Manchester, England, um, DJs there started playing sort of the rarer uh, side of club sounds of the 60s. So every Motown sound, think about um, the thousands, really the thousands of artists that tried to um, jump on that bandwagon and make great dance music, and because of financial restrictions or uh, limited distribution or limited uh, marketing, uh, they would fall into obscurity. And in the record industry in the '60s, um, they would give bands a lot more chances to try to make a record. Yeah, you know, things are a little bit different now, and in the '70s and '80s, it was a little bit different as well. Things more of an album scene, I think, in the '70s and '80s. And plus, the fact more the '70s and '80s was more pay to play. That's where like Absolutely. corruption had come into the record industry, and it was you know you could buy your way into you know obscurity, very true you know so very you know. true. And so these records that have been sort of lost all over uh, the United States were embraced by British DJs. So British DJs and collectors were flying uh, to the states to go and find and dig for these amazing records. It's the most expensive uh, record collecting. Uh, scene, if you will, of any collecting scene. And it's mostly, if not always, a singles market of 45. So for all the sort of millennials out there, when I say the word 45, it means 45 RPM. And, yes. and the speed in which the, and a half. The, yeah. the, the actual size of the single is playing. And, and we remember when in the 80s, they used to call them CD singles or yeah. tape singles. Yeah, little, little tiny little things. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Like but, something um, R2-D2 pulled out of himself. So that's know? one of my passions. I'm, yeah. and nice. it's, a, it's a huge passion, and every once in a while, who knows, I DJ, but yeah. I don't know for the public out there, I'm going to tell you those nights because mm-hmm. I want to keep that. You know what the good thing about private. it, too? I think is I hate... I listen, we used to listen to bands 
just for the fact that nobody else was listening to them. And then when they became popular, I would stop listening to them because I didn't like that. You must have been a punk rocker. Yeah, I did. I like punk rock. But then when it started getting commercialized, I was like, "Ah, I'm done. You know, like I never really got into the hair metal and stuff like that because it was just one. It was a lot of it was just useless trash. It really was. You know, and then literally like coming up, there's like that uh, Motley Crue, Poison. Rat. uh, Rat. Uh, No, no. Cinderella. Yeah. But Cinderella, Tom Kiefer had, he was a blues artist. And if you listen to his stuff, he was actually bluesy. You're like, wow, this is actually really good. But, But with your, the stuff you like. It's not getting flooded again. Like the Beatles' White Album is an amazing album, but how many times do we have to reproduce it? Yeah. How many times do we have Pet to make sounds, the, the ten, tenth year edition, the twentieth edition, know, the White with on White Album? You know, it's like right. oh, okay, we get it. You know, right. how many how many times can you get this eighty bucks out of me? Right. The you Beatles know? are fantastic. Oh I'm yeah, absolutely. I love the Beatles. That was mm. a big foundation of music that I liked as a kid. Yep. My dad was a doo-wop guy. My father was too. And my, my father dad loved was from the Lower East Rockabilly Side. and yeah. yeah. My yep. dad was from the Lower East Side mm-hmm. in, in Manhattan. And there's an artist there by the name of Johnny Maestro in the Crests. And you're like, okay, who's that? Well, I'll give you who he was. The Crests were a band from um, um, from my dad's neighborhood that he knew Johnny Maestro. Uh, Italian-American uh, band that their big hit was 16 Candles. No kidding. They later broke up and Johnny Maestro went solo and then later created a group called the Brooklyn Bridge. Mm-hmm. And did a song that uh, I believe a number of artists did at the time. But Johnny Maestro um, certainly had one of the biggest hits, and it was the worst that could happen. Yeah, which um, I believe um, Gladys Knight, and I also think well, not Aretha Franklin. I think Gladys Knight, and I think The Fifth Dimension did it. No kidding, that's cool. So that's that was my dad's influences. My mom yeah. was my mom was Cat Stevens. Yeah, and, and Motown. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, that those those influences were big. My brother. Yeah, punk rock all the way. Yeah, yep. I remember my brother coming back from RPI. Oh yeah, and he was in the G, he did the GI Bill. Yeah, came back from RPI with Rocket to Russia. He 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 made me nice. a tape of Rocket to Russia with the Ramones. Yep. yep. Uh, I think the Clash self titled their first one. Yep. And that was an amazing album, oh, and that my was then the Clash was one of those bands that I used to listen to, listen to, and then when Rock the Casbah came out, and everybody started running and went, and then you'd see people that. Never ever would wear a Clash T-shirt. I was like, I'm done with the Clash. Yeah, I'm especially like, just... right around that time too, because just to just to switch over to Clash stuff, I love the Clash too. One of my top favorite like bands. London of all Calling, time. one of the best, one albums. Of the best pop albums. Yeah, ever. absolutely. You know, yeah. Best pop albums ever. Yeah. I will. I would say though, my favorite album is the Clash self-titled, and they had yeah. two different releases. They had a they had a British release, yep. and they had an, an England, uh, excuse me, an, a States release. But that album, as a kid, that was the first time. I used to always compartmentalize my music, right? And yeah. so in the 90s came, everybody's like, it used to be you'd go to a party and you, let's just say you meet uh, you, you meet an interesting person, right? Yeah. <laughs> and you want to make conversation. You'd be like, what kind of music are you into? Well, the kids in the in the mid to late 90s to where we are now yeah. would always get off the hook by saying, I like everything. But when we were kids, yeah, no, you, you were either a punk you were either a hip hop guy, yeah, or metal, or yeah, or classic, yeah, exactly. And I remember listening to the Clash in 1987 or 88 when I first started listening to them, 87, I think. And I remember being like, "Wow, I'm hearing Police and Thieves by Junior Mervin. They're they're covering <laughs> Junior Mervin. Yeah, they're playing, you know, White Riot." But that goes back to that whole thing you were saying about England. Yeah. A lot of that, like you know, I, obviously my my biggest fan uh band that i listened to was the cult and the cult oh, was influenced yeah the cult was in- influenced and they don't if you listen to me like no way but the cult was influenced by a lot of that old bluesy stuff but then 
the guitarist Billy Duffy loves Johnny Thunders, mm-hmm. and he was like the biggest punk rock thing in, in uh, New York at the time. Yeah. And then when you start listening, you're like, oh wait a minute. And then you start listening, you're like, wait, that's like ACDC, the same thing. And he influenced so many people, but he never got any recognition for it. So that was the same thing. All the English guys were coming over here listening. And when I was young, I used to go to Play It Again Records or um, Vinyl Imports in, in Cambridge. And I would get the... Where was Play It Again? Play It Again was... I feel like that sounds so familiar. I'm trying to think was, where that is. I can't tell you exactly what it was, but in Harvard Square, they had Underground oh, Harvard, Mystery. Yeah, mystery Underground train, Mystery. Right. Uh, play it again, and yep. then they import records. And we used to go of there. Of course, play it again. I yeah, know. Okay. and we would Absolutely. we would all yeah we'd shop them. But I was always get the UK releases because they were better. They were. They weren't commercial. They weren't cut down like some albums. You'd get them, and you would listen to the the you know the English version, the UK version. You're like, this is great. And you listen to it on you'd hear it on the radio on BCN or something. You're like, wait, what happened to that whole bridge? Right. Because they just com- you know compressed it down and made it more poppy. And I wasn't really into that, but. And the British so. kids, you know, you know, especially at the time, I mean, you know, the Stones were playing, you know, African American blues and 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 R and B covers. You know, the Beatles, of course, in their early early stuff in their, you yeah. know, their sort of Germany days, if you will, or the Silver Beetle days, they were playing. You know, um, you know, what Gilbert Hare, uh, uh, who am I thinking of? Kansas City, whoever sings the song, Kansas City. But they're playing yeah. a lot of R and B numbers, yeah. and a lot of bands were at the time. Um, but I thought that. You know, groups like The Clash, it's only a natural progression for them to start playing reggae because in the late 50s, there was something called the Windrush, and it was essentially when Jamaican immigrants were coming to England Yeah, uh, when they gained their independence. And um, that was a, a, a huge influence on, um, you know, British culture, but also uh, the, Bridget, the British um, uh, music scene at the time. Mm-hmm. Because they're bringing you know ska and reggae from 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 a small tiny island called Jamaica, yeah, uh, uh, to England and mixing it with kids that were listening to you know R and B, but of course white kids that were in some of the same sort of um, um, count, uh, council estates, which was kind of like a Section Eight, yeah, in England, and um, that's actually the start of of skinheads. Yeah, skinheads weren't racist when they were in. Um, you know, when the, the, the first original skinheads, yep. they were a mixture of Jamaican kids and British kids from council estates that were mixing their styles together. Yeah. Rude boy style mixed in with traditional British clothes. Yeah. Think about it. The skinheads were punk rock kids back then. Well, later they that were. Was yeah. Later they yeah. were. They started off as being reggae heads. And kind of when they lost their way was the 70s, the National Front, which is a Nazi, Nazi uh, group, National yep. Front. Oh, okay. Started recruiting these kids and... Um, I would say, like, uh, that's when it got a little murky with oi music. Oi wasn't necessarily mm-hmm. racist, but um, there was plenty of oi bands that were. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, then, still is. Yeah, but, oh, which definitely. Is un- a lot yeah, of, unfortunate. But. Yeah. It's, it was really just street punk, and yeah. some groups like, you know, the business and others were, were not so much, but there were a bunch of crap. It was great because I grew up in the Boston scene, and the Boston scene was like, you'd go to, like, the Rat Skeller or Paradise oh, rat, or Channel, and it was, like, Tuesday nights would be punk rock night at the rat you would go and you'd see like token entry and pennywise and like exploited like these great bands and then the next night you'd go to the channel and see you know alice and james right you know so right. we're like this but it was so eclectic but even ska was huge mm-hmm. i mean well we had dropkick uh, dropkick merch not yet mighty Money boston's were huge, huge you know yeah. and that was scar and people were like what the hell is it you know but yeah yeah and it made them interesting because who else was playing my like place that, you know? my place as like a young a young 20 something 
when I was going to see a lot of bands all the time. And I was big when I was at UMass Dartmouth. I was I, I DJed ska and reggae, and we did a lot of new ska bands too. And of course, the Boss Tones in the '90s were a huge deal. Yeah, because they were local, right? And they played Lupos in Providence all the time. They Love Lupos. Mid- yeah. They played Middle yeah. East in in, yeah. in Cambridge, and I went to. Um, I remember going to so many shows to see them at the Middle East, and man, I just heard recently, I don't know what the update is, but I heard that the Middle East is going to be closing. No, really? I saw so many bands in that dank basement that with no is, seats. That place is iconic. I Yeah. Geez, yeah. It's, you know what it is, and la- one of the last good rock clubs that are actually leaving Boston. I mean, the House of Blues is great, but it's a big venue. You know, it's a small but big venue. It's 2,000, 3,000 people, right? But, like, when the channel closed, I was devastated. Yeah. I had seen so many great bands at the channel, so many great bands that played the channel. And then, you know, Axis closed. And Axis was another great one. The, the Paradise is rock club. It's like a dance club. Oh, yeah, one. yeah. I've been to the Paradise you know? plenty of times. But even, like, the Roxy. I saw Linkin Park at the Roxy. Before anybody that? knew who they were. It was amazing. Like, before they were really out there pushing it. And then at 10 o'clock, they closed it. Half an hour later, it was open for dance club. One group I think you would, you probably heard of, uh, I'm a huge fan, and one of my colleagues, Representative Kevin Honan, who's a good friend of mine, is the biggest fan of this group. But it's a uh, group from Belfast called Stiff Little Fingers. Now, Stiff Little Fingers has always been known as essentially the, Ira, the, the Irish version of uh, The Clash. Really? And if you ever get a chance to check them out, fantastic yeah, and oh, from the same time too, they're from. I'll add a note they started off like seventy eight, seventy nine, and they're still touring today. And I saw them at the Paradise, and it was absolutely electric. That sounds awesome. All right, so let's because we went off, but it's, it's yeah, I know it's, we did, but it's our, but you know what, it, but it's our format. So yeah, tell us about the post traumatic stress bill. Sure. Um, so you know, having coming from um, a military uh, family, and you know, consulting with uh, a brother and a brother in law who who. Um, served nine nine tours collectively and then you know talking to my brother about issues he's had when he returned with night terrors with with issues with sleeping etc um it, it was something that um i wanted to get my arms around yeah. you know and here in massachusetts i'm very proud to say that um we're the most generous state of any of the the states in the in our nation when it comes to um, um uh, investing in our veterans and the in the in the, the services that we provide for our veterans we're Certainly a leader in that uh, in that subject, but also, um, you know, we're we're one that would that 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 other states have been modeling. So um, a friend of mine, who's the former uh, Secretary of Veterans Affairs, Coleman Nee, uh, we had a conversation. We had lunch um, probably about a year and a half ago, and we started having a conversation. Uh, I serve as the vice chair of the Higher Education Committee, and I serve now. Um, I'm in my fourth term serving uh, as, as a member of the Veterans Affairs Committee. And Coleman uh, is just a very smart and, and a very thoughtful guy. And uh, we started talking a little bit about things that this legislative agenda we could sort of tackle. And uh, one was um, of the 29 state colleges and community colleges um, that, you know, in Massachusetts right now, there's a lack of there's a lack of counselors that are trained in military culture mm-hmm. or trained in dealing with PTSDs when it comes to veterans returning home. And um, it's an important issue that we felt that clinical and non-clinical counselors on these campuses should be trained to, to deal with and to understand. And so what our legislation does is it directs the UMass, uh, UMass Medical at Worcester 
to come up with curriculum to train clinical and non-clinical counselors on all the 29 state colleges in the UMass system specifically to deal um, with veterans returning home, on military culture, um, on issues with suicide, on issues of um, uh, sort of loss of camaraderie that yep. we've talked about um, when you're turning, uh, returning home and you're um, reacclimating yourself, if you will. Yeah, that isolation is huge. Yeah. And, and to a classroom. Yep. And you tell me, Scott, you were on the GI Bill. Yep. What was it like returning home to go back to, 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 go back to school? And you're a little bit older, right? You're like yep. 23, 24. These guys are 18, 19, I started, 20. I went back to school when I was in my 40s. Okay. <laughs> so I went back, and I was with a bunch of young kids who, you know, and I, I don't like stereotyping, but you have a bunch of kids that really are living at home with, with mom and dad still. Um, you come in, and little, you're, you're there. You're sitting down, and, and you're trying to crunch because not only that, you have a career, you have a family, everything else like that. And, it, and it's really, I think, people that can appreciate it are like, the parents that go to night school are better themselves, or, you know. But you get there, and then you're in a group or a room, and then throw on top of it, I'm a cop, right? So now I'm a veteran, a cop, sitting in a room with a bunch of people that can't relate to me whatsoever. You know, we have different outlooks on things. Um, I will tell you that I got in trouble a bunch of times in my criminal law classes because of my, out, my look on things and opposed mm -hmm. to. And literally, when you're talking and you voice your opinion, on something you, like heads turn everybody looks like what is this guy talking about now when you re you return to school right mm -hmm. and and this is a kind of a, a major point that i wanted to make with my legislation so i would think yourself or anyone would say this is a great idea jim very much needed i've the experience of it why now well i will say that the 2000 um the 2008 9 11 gi bill expansion yeah has now we're roughly looking at and i had a few statistics here um you know 323,000 veterans live in massachusetts and over 2,500 veterans study at military friendly schools at the university of massachusetts amherst alone right at the yeah. just with the umass system so in the past the gi bill was a use it or lose it yeah you had 10 years to ten do years, it yep. or 10 to 15 i think it was 10 to 15 you correct yeah, me 10 years 10 years to yep. use it or lose it yep. right but with the changes of this bill um, there was some discrepancies or gaps in service um, and, and, and cost for veterans when it came to fees on some of these campuses, when it came to when they can actually use the GI Bill. So these changes were made at the federal level, and it's called now the Forever GI Bill. Nice. So with that, you're having an increase of veterans that are attending school yep. across our nation. But in Massachusetts, it's, it's increased exponentially. And I would say that veteran students are the fastest-growing veteran segment in Massachusetts. So with more students taking the GI Bill and going back to school, uh, and this, this, uh, this population continuing to increase, and the need for resources for mental health issues at a premium for all students on campuses, let's look at the veterans that are returning home that are dealing with stress issues, that are dealing with, uh, in some cases, issues of suicide, with PTSDs, and let's get a handle on this now because this 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 population is going to continue to increase. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you figure Massachusetts has a huge National Guard and Reserve presence. That's one of the reasons a lot of guys join the National Guard is because of the college free tuition. And that's what they do. They're like, all right, this is great. Where before it was the state picking it up. But now with the GI Bill, especially you have veterans now coming home that didn't qualify for the G for the post 9-11 GI Bill. But now. I know Massachusetts has this other program with the technical, I don't know, but it's occupational um, rehab. So say, for instance, 
I get laid off and I'm a veteran and you know what I'm like, I, I don't know what to do with my life anymore or I'm a disabled veteran. I really can't do what I did before. Now they give you the opportunity to change your whole career. Go back to school. They're paying for your computer, a printer. They're really setting it up so it's failure free, you know, and it's on you. They're like taking even the financial responsibilities out of it for you so you can get that jump start in life. And I think that's amazing. Yeah, no, uh, wholeheartedly. And, you know, when it comes to this language and this legislation, I don't know. I mean, this time in my career, more than any time, I guess in my life, it, it really it really gives me a charge to see things through, to do our to do our homework, to 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 put forward public policy that's really going to help people and that we work with a lot of sort of diverse groups and stakeholders to get it done. So Coleman Nee introduced me to a number of folks at UMass Medical. We sat down with him and, um, you know, we picked their brain about, you know, the need uh, for these counselors to be trained. And at UMass Medical, they had actually done a lot of similar training um, with their nurse practitioners um, uh, on, and, and counselors on the UMass Medical campus. So what my bill would do, it, was, it, would, it would essentially charge um, UMass Medical to come up with a curriculum that they would then train the counselors, clinical and non-clinical, on all the college campuses. And, you know, so far, uh, it's, 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 it, this bill has met with great success. We were endorsed by um, President Meehan on this bill. We were endorsed by the uh, state college and community college associations, which represent all of the community colleges and state colleges and universities. Um, so essentially, we, we, had a pretty, we had a pretty tight package here. We, we had everybody together um, nice. in concert mm. and supporting this bill, and we passed the House on November 10th. And right now it's in the Senate waiting to, um, to get done, and I, I feel confident it will be. I think there's just a, a, number, of, um, a number of issues, major issues going on um, in the Commonwealth right now that... Um, you know, certainly the, I think the Senate has has their plate full right now, but I feel confident it'll get done. Well, a lot of the time it's money, you know, finances. And well, we did get the commitment. It, so. so we did get the commitment in the House. This bill um, is a one-time payment of $150,000, which is a drop in the bucket for a budget of $44 billion. Absolutely. And moving forward, it'll be about ninety grand a year. That's it. Yeah, that's nothing too. Yeah, it really is a drop in the bucket and uh, something I think we can we can expand on moving put forward. Put that but in perspective. High school turf fields for their footballs, yeah, you know, is two million dollars. So I, I, I think if you could benefit the three hundred thousand veterans we have in the state, I, I'm, that's a pretty good deal. But I would when say. a guy so. like yourself, like when you when you wanted to use the GI Bill, I mean, that's a big decision, right? You yeah. were you were you know you, you know especially you're you were older, you were yeah. forty, you're going back to school. When you first went into classes. I mean, it's just got to be just mind altering, right? You felt like you were in. Yeah, well, you, you must know, have felt like you were you were just like generations different. Yeah, and that it, because I didn't relate to a lot of the stuff. You yeah. know, I remember first going in, and remember when uh, when you had to text with a, a flip phone. You used to have the like number two was ABC, and right. you had to hit like. I remember sitting there, like you know, I had a phone. I, I used it for calling. I look over, and there's a girl who's got the phone down by her thigh, looking at the teacher, texting somebody with her thumb like a robot. Yeah. I'm like, well, that's the most, you know, and I couldn't relate to that. I couldn't relate to that. I couldn't relate to, you know, some of the kids coming in and just throwing their hood on and just head down. I wow. came from, yeah. you know, the military where if you didn't pay attention, you, were, you know, you're in trouble, sure. you know. And then the the fact that some kids really are just there for the fact, you know, they're just there because mom and dad said you either get a job or college or get out. And that's what a lot of them were. So I think like the focus 
the commitment and stuff was just totally different. And if you get that military guy, you're going to find out that that's exactly what it is. It's that integrity, that focus, that commitments that they do. You know, a lot of them go to school and they're just so goal orientated that they're like, I'm going to get through this class and this. And you're sitting next to somebody who's you know on their phone the whole time. And it's just you look and you just you don't get it. It's just totally different from our generation. I mean, it's you know? funny, too. And it's like our generation. I always think what would have been like when we were kids, we were in high school and you wanted to ask a girl to the prom or you asked somebody yeah. out. You had to call the house and get yeah. through the get through the, 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 the sister, yeah. and, the, the brother, and don't the mom and the dad. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then you got the call. Maybe. Yeah. Or then they didn't give him the message. Yeah. It's like, you know, when when Angelina. God forbid it starts dating, yeah. which will be a very dramatic moment in my life. But um, when all that sort of stuff happens, I don't even know. It's going to be like the Jetsons, I yeah. think. I have a 16-year-old, and I said to her one day, I'm like, what's the deal? You know, guys? And she's like, nope. I'm like, girls? She's like, no. I'm like, then why no dating? She's like, I can't bring anybody home to you. You're crazy. Well, at least she knows that. Yeah, I'm like, okay. At least she knows that. I'm like, but keep that in mind. That's an ace in your hole. You know? I would like, say, <laughs> I would say if I was if I was if I was 16 or 17 and I'm I'm um I'm you know, I'm de- I'm dating somebody that's that's the daughter of Scott Heider. I would uh I would be a little worried that he's trained to kill. <laughs> that that he's a police officer and that uh he's he's a veteran it's not even that it really it's just a, i was being a little kidding yeah but yeah no but but the thing is it's like a lack of respect i think of of, of really what it is now i mean you just like when it's we, a lack of respect but it's almost like yeah. some of these kids don't even no. they don't even know because no one taught them but think about it you know did you ever beep your horn when you pulled in the driveway for your girlfriend to come outside oh, if no. i ever that just doesn't no happen way. That just you, doesn't, you get out of the how car about you this walk one? up how about this the one? Father. my mom Bless her soul. My mom used to always get so upset if, um, like, my sister's boyfriend would ever even go upstairs. Yeah. You weren't allowed in her room. You weren't yep. allowed to go upstairs. And I don't know if that's the case now. I've seen some. It's like everybody's no, parading no, Hanging out in Mantown in the basement by themselves oh, and I stuff. Know. No, no. I, I just, you know why? We wrote the book they're trying to read from. You know yeah, what I mean? It's yeah. like there's no and I tell people this all the time, especially when I was a police officer. There's no trick that you're going to try to pull that hasn't been done before. Right. That I've never seen before. I have not read about or heard about. I mean, growing up in the city, we did thank God there was no cameras because we would have been crazier than we were. We would have done stuff, you know. Now tell more me where a little bit about where you grew up. So I grew up between Dorchester and Arlington. My parents were divorced. My father uh lived in the veterans housing in Arlington, which is the projects, which is Lack of a better word, it's an asshole. It's where where still... was that, Scott? Because like for for okay. let me just tell you this, I had a uh, I had a girlfriend um, back in the day when I was in grad school, mm-hmm. and I would you know stay with her at her place, yeah. and she lived near the Capitol Theater. Okay, not far. All right, so uh, the Capitol that's East Arlington, that's where we were. Yep. So if you followed the brook, the Mystic Brook, yeah, down right, the projects are, are located right where the Mystic Brook and the Mystic River meet. It's across from Doughboy Stadium. It's that where every Sunday you'd hear. Well, they, one they played um, rugby there every week. Nobody knew what rugby was, but yep. they used to have all the marching bands and everything else used to play there every Sunday. So we were greeted with wonderful music on Sundays. <laughs> but but during that time, the seventies was the huge drug problems. Yeah, uh, high crime. Eighties, drugs, high crime. Different area. Yeah. Huh? And now, then, now it's probably the highest rent district around. Yeah, except the projects are still the same way. Yeah, but the only okay? thing good about it is we all, like the ones that did survive. Their parents were like the like I have a, a friend who's a Boston sergeant, police department. His brother's a VA cop, 
um, his other brother's a curator at the Boston Library. There was like eight kids, the Kellys, Irish family. And that father was very strict, you know. Um, and we all goofed up. I mean, we all made mistakes and everything else, but we were all held to a different standard, you know, where when, you know, we had the full, you know, parents, mother, father, whatever, we really did well. Everybody in the project was your parent. If you were, if you got caught goofing off, you get dope slapped by that person, they drag you home, you got beat up by your parents. You know, okay. that's the way it was. But we did, but I mean, we were crazy too. We did every crazy thing. I mean, on some nights in the summer, the Somerville Project would come over to us and they'd have a big giant fight and mm-hmm. people would get stabbed and then they'd retaliate and go across this, you know, the brook and fight. Wow. It's like crazy. And then my mother lived in Dorchester. She lived in low income in, in Dorchester. Mm-hmm. So um, at the time there was only, I think, three white families on the street. So we, we've, I've talked about this before where, you know, it was like that reverse racism. Nobody would let me play with their kids because I was a white kid, you know. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of strange. Even the kids I grew up with, I'm still in contact with those guys, you know, to this day. Um, but, yeah, people are like, oh, Dorchester, the Wahlbergs, they came from the nicer part. You Did know? they? It was, they were still low income. Don't get me wrong. But it was nicer <laughs> where they were, you know. So, we're not going to call out Marky Mark here. Okay? I, I will. Come, come talk to me at my face. Yeah, Talk right, to me in person. Right, right. I would just go, wow, nice to meet you again. Did you buy his solo album when it first came out? No, no, that wasn't Good me. Good Vibrations? But you know what? When they filmed uh, The Fighter at the Regency in Westford, I actually hung out with them for a day and talked. He seems like a really cool guy. Real down to earth. And it was funny because he kept talking to Christian Bale, who Christian Bale, not a nice guy. It, right. what, what was he like? Because he's one, I, I have to say, I don't he, know if it's just his collaboration with Christopher Nolan Mill uh, films, because yeah. I'm a huge Dark Knight film yeah. series guy. And I like Bale a lot. I just I'm a huge I'm a huge fan of his oh, acting. Yeah, me but, too. But what was he like? He was really um, I can't really use the word for the podcast because we do have corporate partners that wouldn't appreciate it. But he, I I would say that he's probably he's a grumpy individual. Okay, like he's really kind of crass. I think he would be the at one point. Uh, Mark Walbert said, "Hey, Christian, this kid's from Boston too," and he was like, "Yeah, you both." And call this an explicit name. I was like, okay. oh, nice. You know? Wow. But other than that, I think he's just kind of abrasive. But, you know, uh, there was people there that wanted autographs and stuff. And he signed stuff like that. But, I, yeah, I mean, I think he's really, he's a great actor. I love the, all the Dark Knight series. I think those, other than Michael Keaton, who was the best Batman, um, I think he would probably be the second best, you know? You thought Keaton was the best Batman? Oh, my God, yeah, absolutely. He did have a dark side to him. He did have that mm. kind of look. Yeah. Um. Now, no, mind you. We might as well go down this rabbit hole a little bit, too. I'm a huge comic book geek. Yeah. Right? And I know it's cool to say you're a comic book geek now because now, everybody, everybody's in the MCU, cool. right? Yeah. Which I am, too, by the way. Yeah. I love it because they're finally doing comics mm-hmm. like I loved. That they should be done. Yeah. And full disclosure for everybody listening at home, I, I used to work at a comic book store in Westford, yeah. which uh, there's a, a series of these red barns where Chili's is. Yeah. Yep. And those barns used to have antiques that they sold antiques in them. And, and there were two places. There was Pete's Comics that was upstairs, and I never I never worked at Pete's, but yeah. I used to go there as a kid all the time. I used to go to the Westford Flea Market where Emerson Hospital is now, yeah, or okay. Emerson Hospital, yeah. that what annex, they call that, it. Yeah. Right. So that used to be an open field, and every Sunday it was jammed like a flea market, like a Hollis flea market, right? Close to where you live now. And um, I would go with my mom after church and my sister, and I remember when I was a little kid, my mom would give me 50 cents or a dollar. And then you go and knock yourself out, right? And that was a ton of buy. But later on, my eighth, eighth and eighth grade and freshman year, I worked at a comic book store called Heroes Haven. Where was that? It was in the basement. <laughs> and not a lot of people came, okay? Yeah. <laughs> it was kind of like post Pete's comics because that place closed. But um I had so much fun 
yeah with comic books when i was a kid just all the characters and now to see these mcu films it's like they've finally done it right yeah because there's been some bad comic book movies over the years when when batman tim burton came out in 1989 i saw it route three cinema Mm -hmm. in chumsford i waited 45 minutes to get in (laughs) and people were roaring i mean remember going to the movies and people were screaming and yelling when things would happen yeah now you're lucky to get a sellout yeah at any movie yep because everybody just wants it you know, in their living room. Well, they can pirate it now yeah, and everything want, else with the fire stick. Room, yeah. like, nobody wants to do anything. But um, at that time, I was like, they finally made a Batman movie that's similar to the stuff I've been reading. And now, after watching like a Christopher Nolan adaption, not so much the Ben Affleck. Yeah. Um, ben mm-hmm. Affleck or whatever those, yeah. uh, 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 what's it called? Zack Snyder, if you will. Yeah. Uh, I kind of feel like it's kind of campy, almost like the Zing Bao 1966 yeah. Batman. And series. I actually like those ones, too. Yeah, they're cool. My, my son's in love with the the Adam West series. Batman the Adam West series yeah. is cool, but um, Adam West, I always thought it was such funny as a kid watching Batman back then. I'm like, okay, Batman's fighting crime, using all these gadgets, and he's a superhero, and he's got like a, he's got like a pot belly. Yeah. And he's wearing like spandex. No, no... Like manly physique whatsoever. No, like he's no. not jacked. Nothing. No, not it, at that's all. That's we because now you look at it now and you just chuckle because it's so hokey. It's so funny, yeah. But back then you were like, yeah, this is great. Like I, we laugh all the time. Um, we have a running joke at my house: shock repellent. Like doesn't matter what. Just get me the shock repellent. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah you know, because yeah, yeah. that was one of the uh, the episodes. He he was getting he was hanging off a ladder on. They were trying to get. I think I remember them. Is this the movie? The Batman. They made a TV yeah, movie. Was ba- yeah, it was first. a TV movie. It was penguin. A movie? I think it was a TV movie. I, I think know. so. Yeah, but it I know was, they made a movie. Yeah, in '66. Yeah, the Penguin, uh, the the Riddler, and Cat. Uh, nah, sorry, and um, yeah, it was Catwoman. We're inside a submarine that belonged to the Penguin. I think I know this. And episode. they came the helicopter. They came in on the rope ladder. Yeah, I remember this episode. And then he released the shocks, and the shock was biting Batman's leg. Yeah. And he says, he goes, Robin, give me the bat repellent. And he reaches out of the helicopter, gives him, he sprays it, and it literally said because everything in Batman, if you looked at the console, it said. You like uh, it would say like voltmeter. It would say you know um, like whatever. Everything was like plain. And it said right on the can, bat repellent. Well, I can always. I mean, sorry, shock repellent. I can always segue back into Northern Soul, my love of of rare soul music, right? Yeah. And my wife for my birthday bought me um, a rare soul record I wanted for a long time called Batman at the Go Go. <laughs> that now, was an episode. Now let me tell you about this. <laughs> let me tell you about this song, Batman at the Go Go yeah. by Butch Baker. Yeah. Great, great story. Yeah. So the 45 is worth about 100 bucks, I think. It's about a $100 record. I've seen it for more. I've seen it for less. My, like I said, my wife Bridget got it for me um, for, for my birthday one year. And um, really cool song. But there was back when it, the reason why it's sort of a rare record is not just because it's a Northern Soul song. It has a Northern beat. It, it's a great dance track. And it has the, the kind of sound that us Northern heads love. But. Uh, it was actually pulled from the shelves because Hanna, I believe it was Hanna-Barbera was going to sue Butch Baker for allowing, uh, for, for him not getting permission to do a Batman at the go-go. Really? So I'll play it for you sometimes. Maybe, yeah, maybe actually I'll send it to you so we can play it in the podcast. So yeah, I'll, I'll, yeah I will. I'll drop it. So yeah. it's like Batman's at the go-go. Yeah. Stealing the show. Dun, dun, dun. That's funny. Anyway, yeah. you flip it, yeah. and it's just the instrumental of the song. It's called Robin at the go-go. Oh, okay. Which is pretty cool. Yeah. Anyway, why am I saying all this? Because Hanna-Barbera was like suing yeah. or was going to sue Butch Baker yeah. or St. Lawrence Records is the record company. And they, cha- they 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 pulled it from the shelves and they re-released it. 
St. Lawrence, uh, St. Lawrence, I believe is, I'm trying to think of where they were, were based, but anyway, um, they re-released it as Fat Man at the Go-Go. Same song, <laughs> and you can't really tell if he's saying Batman or oh, Fat Batman. Man, oh, but I awesome. don't have Fat Man at the, at the Go-Go, but I have Batman oh, at the that's Go-Go. That's awesome. Yeah, we joke about that episode, too, where it's like, can I get you a drink, Batman? He's like, orange juice, straight. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> Who drinks orange juice in a bar? Unless and actually, and, you know, in some of the episodes, they show uh, um, uh, Burt Ward and Adam West, or you yep. know, um, um, Dick Grayson and uh, and Bruce Wayne yep. when they're in street clothes at the mansion. Those cats look pretty cool, don't they? Oh they're, yeah, they're, they're pretty yeah. cool dressed, man. Those we were, guys are those guys are pretty hip. We were walking back, and we like we've had the con- like the conversation like worst Batman, best Batman, stuff like that, and and we and we always go back to how hokey that was, even to the point now like we were just talking in a recent podcast. Lou Ferrigno just got sworn in as a deputy sheriff in North uh, in New Mexico, and we were talking about hokey the 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 Hulk was. Didn't he play a security guard in the the Edward Norton reboot of Incredible yes, Hulk? Yes, he too, did, or something. He yes. played some kind of role. Yeah, so I he's... love that show with Bill Bixby. By the oh, way, yeah. growing up, that was a huge. So one. that was the great thing. We said, dun, 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 dun. Yeah. he's hit backpack so and looking sad. over his shoulder. It was yeah. oh, man. It was melancholy. Yeah, like I, I just saved everybody. Now I can leave. He's got to get another yeah. pair of boots. Yeah, right? Those yeah. Cowboy yeah. boots. A pair of purple split, pants. Right? Yeah. So and that's what we said. We're like, you know, I'm like. What, what is his uniform going to rip off when he like pulls people over and stuff? So we were laughing about that. Just like how pop culture was just so like hokey, but still so impressive to everybody. And, you know, because nowadays, if it's not CGI, then it's nothing. You well, know? It's funny because you watch those old those old Hulk episodes and I my favorite two favorite things growing up, like little kid stuff. And of course, I talked about music. And I talked about comic books, but Godzilla movies on yeah, Creature Double Feature, feature Saturday, right? mornings, yeah. Saturday mornings was a huge deal. Yeah. And the Incredible Hulk, which used to be on, usually I think it was on at eight thirty, on Friday nights with followed by the Dukes of Hazard. Remember yeah. that? Yep. So I love. And then the I, Fall Guy was after. It. Oh God, that was a good one. That was a great one. That was a great one. <laughs> yep. Fall Guy, man, yeah. that was a, that was a good one. Um, good song too. Yeah. Good, good song. Yeah. But anyway, um, so I loved all that stuff. But there was some really bad comic book movies there. Do you remember the TV movie, The Trial of the Incredible Hulk? Yes. That had like a like a like a bad daredevil mm-hmm. daredevil started and then they yep. had really bad one it was either the trial of the incredible hulk or one of them it was kind of five six seven years after the tv show had ended yeah. and they had thor yeah and it was it was a horrendous and i was like this is the end i remember being at a comic book convention which now they call them comic cons yeah right so back then it was really geeks like myself that really cared about comics and over the last 10 15 years it's become cool to like comics. Yep. So I remember at Westford Academy, and I'd be at a football game, and like someone would yell out, "Hey Jim, you're you're into comics." I'd be like, "Shh, shh quiet, yeah, quiet, sh- quiet. Yeah, there's girls here. I don't want anybody yeah. to know I'm into comics." Yeah. And now it's like a cool thing, and it's cool yeah. to go to a comic con and dress up like it. Yeah, you know, people spend lots of money on those uh, costumes and everything. I have a. Friend. I mean, we know people mutually, and I won't yeah. mention their names yeah. that are really big into like dressing up and going to all that stuff, which is yes. really cool. Yep. But I don't ever At ever remember those people talking yeah. about comics my exactly. entire life. So I have to. I have to call you. That I as went. Opposer. I went through uh, to high school with the kid Tony, and he actually used to own a comic book place in Lowell. He goes comic. What's the name of the comic store? Uh, it was um, Larry's. No, 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 no. He actually Larry. He didn't never worked for Larry. He actually works for the place down in Drake it now. Um, oh, I uh, uh, Command D, Command D, Command D. Yeah, yeah of course. So man. he had he had one in downtown on Market Street, 
Yep. And it, I forget what it was. It was a dragon on it or whatever. And we used to go in there and just talk about it. But he is like, I talked to him and he's like, yeah. He's like, I go, what are you doing this weekend? I'm going to Comic-Con. I'm like, oh, that's cool. I'm like, do you make money there? He goes, I make like a quarter million dollars in just selling stuff. I'm like, why? He goes, I'll clear all my shelves out. He goes, it'll all be gone. I'll come home and I'll People just want to buy issues of anything. Anything. Yeah. But mostly because, Silver Age, 60s. Yeah, yeah. Steve, and that's, you know, and Steve that's Dicko, stuff. Jack Kirby yeah. stuff. Yeah. But we've, yeah, we've talked about that. And it, like when it comes to like the, I'll go see, like say for instance, I went and saw um, Guidance of the Galaxy with them. And it, no one, like the credits play and then they show the flash. And he's like, oh, they just segued into three more comics. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah. He goes, uh, Astro the Dog, Howard the Duck, and some other one. I'm like, I know, Howard the Duck. Horrible, horrible comic I book. I hated movie. Howard the Duck. That was the most. But you know what was the thing about Howard the Duck was was the writer was Steve Gerber for a lot of his big issues. And this writer oh, okay. was yeah. a far out writer. And they would just, they would write about anything. I never liked it either at the time. Um, it's funny. There was, there was a big issue in the 70s when I worked at a comic book store. All 70s. Uh, comics, with exception of like X Men and key issues in like Amazing Spider Man stuff like that. When we were kids, seventies comic books were crap. Oh, really? It was yeah. a lot of crap. Yeah. Guardians of the Galaxy, for instance, and um, some of these other MCU artists they brought up are very cool, but they that this stuff was like not popular. Yeah. It was it was yeah. just sort of like the horror comics. Yeah. Blade. Yeah. Like the Blade movies oh, they yeah. did. Yeah. Blade was a, a reoccurring character in Tomb of Dracula. So what happened was, like in the fifties, there was something called the Comic Code. Yeah, and they and uh, like, do you remember like Tales from the Crypt, yeah. all that kind of stuff? Those original comics, they yeah. just call them EC comics. They were too violent. They were actually like you know twist endings where people would get like torn apart yeah. or something really gruesome for kids to be reading. So they created this comic book code, and so for a, a, a you know decades, comic books like Marvel and DC, they couldn't introduce zombies or yeah. or dracula or frankenstein or any of these a lot of these like um um, um sort of gothic horror or traditional horror yeah. didn't pass muster but i guess it was changed or released or, or i can't remember they they uplifted the comic code or, or whatever it was but in the 70s it was werewolf by night tomb of dracula zombie they all yeah. brought them all back because they never had them before and they started connecting them in the marvel universe so like Doctor Strange would have been a f- like would have would have um would have been like um one of the big foes of Dracula and and it was kind of cool stuff they added all the stuff and they connected everything but um yeah horror comics were a big part of of my life too like reading that stuff early on because I don't know it was it was a good story Blade was a great yeah. was a great um sort of antihero yeah seventies yeah. antihero stuff yeah. was, was big well vigilante comics. yeah yeah totally yeah. totally. Yeah. That was all 70s, yeah. you know, like, look at, it, probably a lot of it starts with movies like Dirty Harry, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you had that, you had... Um, He's in the most progressive or liberal area yeah. in the in, in, in America, in yeah. San Francisco, yet he's, like, yeah. like completely above the I law of vigilante. To Death yeah. Wish with Charles Bronson, he was gritty New York City. Absolutely. Like, you expected it, Absolutely. you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that was a little bit different, but that, that was a big part of, that, that was part of uh, comics, too, you know? You had a lot of anti-heroes. Yeah. It's funny how what when we were younger, it wasn't cool to do all these things, but now that's the cool thing. I know. Like, remember AV Club? You'd never get caught anybody letting you know that you were an AV Club. AV now Club. everybody's a techie. Yeah, you know? it's very so, true. Uh. It's, a, it's a very good point. I mean, especially I think, though, especially I think with comic books, because now, you, you know, you can always say, well, it's, it's a graphic novel. It's like, okay, no, it's a comic book that's just in a nice print no, with glossy. No, let me ask you a question, being a, a comic book guy. 
does it aggravate you when you see some pop star wearing a shirt that you know they have no they shouldn't be wearing that at all. They have no idea what they're talking about when it comes to like if you see Yeah, of course it does. Yeah, like they'll they'll have like the old like Deadpool shirt on. And yep. you're like, you realize that this the Deadpool in the in the movie is not the Deadpool in the comic yeah, book. Yeah. You know, or stuff like that. And you're like, what's that person wearing that shirt for? It's I know. insulting almost to us. You well, know? I mean look, I mean, you know, were you a big fan of the show Entourage? Yeah, actually, I like that a lot. That was a great I, show. Yeah. Remember when Vince did the role of Aquaman? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the <laughs> and he was going to the comic cons, yeah. and he had to like buy off that geek kid from yeah. writing a bad. That was like Rotten Tomatoes back then, yeah. right? If yeah. Rotten Tomatoes gave you like yeah. like a crap twenty percent uh, tomato meter. Yeah, these days oh, you're yeah. screwed. Yeah, just thank you. Yeah. Done. Yeah, you're absolutely done. So that was a cool. That was a cool story. But it is it is an interesting thing. Like again, I will say, I remember. In the mid '80s, going going to downtown Boston with Justin Obishon, and I think Scott McKittrick, these, these neighborhood kids I hung out with, we were into comics, and uh, going to the Comic Con, and Stan Lee was there, and he was touting the Trial of the Incredible Hulk, and we were all excited, yeah, because they finally made a real life movie, yeah, and nobody dressed up, yeah, no, it was- nobody was going there to be seen, and yeah. people were going there because they waited in line like I did. To have this uh, artist and writer, Mike Mignola, who did a lot of... He actually did Batman, A Death in the Family, four-part series where Bat- where Robin dies. Yeah. And I got his autograph. Oh, nice. So I like waited in line to do that. I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. But now it's like, yeah, it's a show... You know, yeah. like Mayor Marty Walsh goes to Comic Con yeah. <laughs> and makes like an announcement. I mean, yeah. I love Marty; he was my colleague. But it, but, but holy cow, yeah. really? But nowadays, you get like anybody that was on a TV show is at Comic Con. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's I like know. so watered down, oh, commercialized now. You're like, oh. one of my buddies, oh. Mike Ranieri, I love him. Every year, it's the funniest thing. His Christmas card is somebody like some like sort of aging star or oh, somebody. Really? Yeah, that's he awesome. put that on his Christmas card. That's amazing. Yeah, it was pretty funny actually. But Mike is notorious for that. He always good for him. Finds yeah. really clever pop culture people to put in there. But that's what, it, yeah. Comic Con now is like you can go and um, get a picture with uh, Simon and Simon. You know yeah. what I mean? It's yeah, because like, I like, yeah because I paid ten bucks for it. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah, the biggest yeah. thing I would say for that when I was a kid was yeah. the World of Wheels. Of course. Like you would go to the World, World of Wheels, Wheels. they would be like on deal. Friday, you'll oh, meet totally. you know, wrestling star and this Kids day. Loved it. Yeah, and it was awesome because you went and saw, you know, all these great cars. But then you could meet American Gladiators. Oh yeah. Like it, it was like American Ninja, but you had to fight somebody at the same time, right? When was American you, you must have been like you were pretty old by then though. You were in American Gladiators? Was no, that? No, no, American well, I'm was only that? I'm forty seven. I'll be forty seven. Was this American month. Gladiators when we were kids? I yeah, thought that was American like we were older. No, no, it was when we were kids. Oh, you must have been yeah, it must have been. Yeah, they're all blurring the eighties. But yeah, you would see some dude with feathered hair who was jacked on roids. Like, right, right, right. You're trying to do an obstacle course, and this guy comes swinging out of nowhere and yeah. smashes you off. Well, those guys were always at, you know, the car show, and that's oh, what wow. you do. You'd go, and he'd be like, "Meet Storm," or you know, "Meet Brutus," or whatever. And you're like, "Oh, hey!" And you get the right. ten dollars. This guy would sign a black and white and send you on your way. But it's like not like that now. Now it's ten bucks. You get it. You get a picture. You get the wave. You know, the guys like. I always ask know? those. I always probe no. those questions though. Like I always, but for people who are like big. Like Comic Con and getting the outfits now, I think it's kind of cool. You know, yeah. it, it, that's your thing. I, I enjoy it. Um, but but, it's, but, it's but so, I will say, yeah, I guess so commercialized. I, I, I know. I, I will say, I will say, Scott, because of our um, sort of punk punk rock up uh, upbringing, we definitely have to question if they actually like that stuff and they're not just wearing it because it's cool. You see all these stars wearing stuff, and it and it goes back to once I I thought when it's not underground or rebellious anymore, I, I really would lose interest in, and that was like. Yeah, it's just amazing how everything just comes back around. So, why don't we wrap it up? 
and I'm going to make. <laughs> I, I'm literally on that, on that I'm actually, hour and a half tangent. On, yeah, so on yeah, we are an hour and a half. So what we'll do yeah. is we'll act. Yeah, no, we'll we'll Thanks, clean it Scott. up for you. Absolutely. Thanks so for what having do we, me. What do we put in about ten minutes of policy and about? <sighs> yeah, forty-five, fifty minutes, minutes of, of, of music. Yeah, and but see, but that's the thing. Like so, and we talk about that stuff because you know what? Yeah, the policy is important, but a lot of people want to know because it, it's relatable. Music's yeah. relatable, you know. Yeah, and like I said, it's the soundtrack to your life, you know. All right, Jim. Why? Well, thanks for everything, buddy, and I uh, appreciate it. We'll have you on again. Great to see you. All right, Scott. Take care.